Welcome. You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's great to be in worship with you. I want you to know that last week we had our our first in-person Vespers worship service at 3 p.m. We'll be doing another one this afternoon. We had about 90 people in attendance. Everyone was masked up. We practiced physical distancing. We don't want anyone to feel pressure or compelled, but we also know that many people are feeling deep isolation and loneliness, and so we want to give an opportunity to gather together in person uh, in the spirit of Jesus Christ. I also want you to know that you can still get in your pledged financial commitments for next year, for 2021. That would allow the church to make wise budgeting decisions. So please do that at roswellpress.org forward slash give as soon as you can. Well, today we continue our sermon series, Thank You Notes. It's a series looking at some of the great letters, the opening passages or salutations uh, in the Bible. Today we're going to look at Paul's great letter to the Romans. Paul writes what most consider his magnum opus. This is the great statement of his overarching theology where he makes his great argument for the um, persuasiveness of the Christian faith. You know, Paul has never been to Rome at this point, but he knows many people there. In fact, at the end of the letter, he lists 37 names He sends greetings to 37 people. It's interesting, those names, some of them are slave names. Others are aristocratic names. Paul had uh, a lot of friends, and he had a real diverse group of friends. But he thought the gospel was compelling to all of these folks. And this, in his letter to the Romans, he explains why. Even though he's far away from his friends, he believes that we and they could be united together in Jesus Christ. So let us look at Romans 1, verses 8 through 15. Listen for the word of the Lord. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers, asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher. Lord, this passage is one oftentimes we just kind of skip over or read quickly. But I pray that you, by your Spirit, might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Lord, that you might surprise us by your Spirit. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. For about 75% of our dating life, Courtney and I dated long distance. And let me tell you, it was horrible. For three years, she was living in California going to law school, and I was here in Georgia practicing as a pastor. 
And because of the three-hour time change, our schedules, we rarely found time to talk on the phone. Because of this distance and my own insecurity, I was really worried that she was going to fall in love with someone else. One time, I remember one of her roommates ran into Andrew Luck, the quarterback of the Stanford football team. I thought, oh no, Andrew's got a neck beard and I can barely grow a whisker. What if she falls in love with him? How can I compete with that? So in order to calm my nerves, which must have been quite annoying to her, once a week, Courtney would write me a postcard. They were these very cool postcards that had pictures of famous books on the front, Les Miserables, The Great Gatsby, Crime and Punishment, etc. She would write these notes from a long distance to let me know that she was thinking of me and that she loved me. From a long distance, I needed to be reminded of our mutual love. Have you ever had that feeling? Paul reminds the Romans how he feels about them. He doesn't want to think that, them to think that he's forgotten about them. In verse 11, he writes, For I am longing to see you so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Over the past eight months, many of us have felt far away from the people we love. We've been separated from our families. We've been forced to be apart from our friends. We've been removed from our coworkers. We've been separated from our church. But I want you to know that just because we are separated physically doesn't mean we are separated spiritually. In his letter to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul is saying that even though they are separated physically, they can be together spiritually. Why? Because we are one in Jesus Christ. I call this phenomenon spiritual entanglement, spiritual entanglement. Even though we might be far away, we can still be entangled with one another. Take, for instance, what physicists call quantum entanglement. It's what Albert Einstein called spooky action from a distance. Basically, what happens is when two atoms become entangled, their movements begin to mimic each other. When one starts spinning in one direction, the other one spins in the same direction. And when that atom changes direction, the other one instantaneously changes its spinning direction. When one atom changes, the entangled atom changes as well. Here's the thing, the thing that mystifies scientists and physicists. The distance between the two atoms does not matter when they are entangled. The distance doesn't matter. They can be separated so far apart, but still, when one changes directions, the other one will instantaneously also change directions. Now, here's why this is such a mystery to scientists and physicists. They teach us that the speed limit to the universe is the speed of light. But the thing is, with these entangled atoms, no matter how far apart they are, the information gets from one to the other and they know to change direction when they're entangled. The problem is that signal would have to go 10,000 times the speed of light. And if the speed of the light is the speed limit to the universe, how can it transfer that information, transfer so fast scientists can't answer that question? They wonder, are there hidden variables that we don't know about? Maybe we live in a folded universe, or maybe there's dark matter we don't know about. Yet it does happen. I remember listening to NPR's Science Friday 
And Ira Flato was talking to Tom Seagreed, the editor-in-chief of Science News. He was asking about entangled atoms, and Ira says, do you find this as interesting and spooky as everyone else does? And Seagreed said, it's more interesting and even spookier than they say. <laughs> entangled atoms are one of the great mysteries of the world. But it's true. Even though we can't explain it, we can observe it and we can describe it. We can get tangled up. If maybe you're not a physics fan, this is exactly the point of Bob Dylan's song, Tangled Up in Blue, on his album, Blood on the Tracks. He says he's broken up with this girl, but they're still entangled. It goes for six verses and then finally comes to a seventh verse and he concludes Tangled Up in Blue with these lines, but me, I'm still on the road, a heading for another joint. We always did feel the same. We just saw it from a different point of view, Tangled Up in Blue. They are entangled in blue, just like we are entangled in Jesus Christ. Even though we are separated physically, we can still be brought together spiritually. Just like those atoms are entangled, we can be tangled up with one another. The Apostle Paul is describing a type of theological entanglement in his great letter to the church in Rome. The book of Romans is Paul's magnum opus. It's his great statement on what he believes theologically. It's a summary statement of the faith. He knew people from the church in Rome, even though he had never been there. And when he does eventually go to Rome, it's not how he wants to go. He goes as a prisoner in chains, even though they are separated by a great distance, though. Paul still finds their very lives tangled up together. We can be one, united in Jesus Christ, even though we are separated physically. In fact, I believe the Apostle Paul wants us to be united with him even today. After his introductory comments, the, the Apostle Paul lays out his argument in the book of Romans. You can kind of imagine as he makes his argument, the setting is kind of like a courtroom. He first takes the position of a prosecutor. The, pro, the prosecutor says, we have all been tangled up in sin. We're entangled in sin, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a universality of sin and the reality and its impact on our lives. We are entangled in sin. That's the human condition. Paul, the prosecutor, says that's the bad news. But then Paul steps forward as the defense lawyer, and he has good news for us. In Romans 5.20, he says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. In other words, there's more grace in God than sin in you, or to use Karl Barth's words, God's no to sin is wrapped in a much bigger yes of God's grace. Paul is far away, but he wants his friends to know that they are united in the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. God's grace has his arms wrapped around them. They are tangled up together. Yes, we are tangled up in sin, but sin doesn't have the last word because we are finally tangled up in God's grace. God's grace unites us in Jesus Christ. This is what the church is. It's a community of sinners who have discovered and are leaning on the grace and goodness of God. We need to be reminded of this reality. It's easy for us to forget. We look at our current circumstances and we get overwhelmed. So Paul writes, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. See, when it comes to the gospel, the apostle Paul is an inclusivist. 
The gospel, the good news, is both for Greeks and barbarians, for the wise and the foolish. You see, the the Greeks were part of the philosophical lineage that goes back to Plato and Aristotle. They are wise. And as a part of this heritage, they believed that this world was fading away. It's ephemeral. Things are here one day and gone the next. And so you have to kind of distrust, distrust and doubt physical matter. The real world is the world of ideas. It's a spiritual world. We want to escape this world. And so Plato and Aristotle would have never believed, and many Greeks really struggled with this, that God would never dirty God's self to become human. He would never dirty, get his hands dirty by becoming flesh. But Paul says that is the good news of the gospel. God has been enfleshed in Jesus Christ. He's broken into creation, into our world. He hasn't stood far off. He's come near and close in Jesus Christ. One of the first heresies of the church was to question this reality, to question this conviction. You can read 1 John to see the church's response to this. They said, no, God has become human in Jesus Christ. In the first few hundred years of the church, there was a slogan that said, what God has not assumed, God has not healed. The church said, God has assumed human flesh, has entered into the depths of human experience and knows how we feel and therefore can heal us and offer help. He's experienced disease and despair and, yes, even death itself, but death in Jesus Christ does not have the final word. We are united in that reality. This reality will change how we treat one another. In 2005, Marilyn Robinson won the Pulitzer Prize for her book, Gilead. Gilead is one of my all-time favorite books. It's an epistolatory book. It's a collection of letters written by this old man, this old pastor living in Gilead, Iowa. His name's Reverend John Ames. And John has been diagnosed with a significant heart condition, and he knows he doesn't have long to live. And so he's had a son late in life, and so he writes these letters to his young son, who is now a boy that he can read later on, so he can hear his father's words and his father's wisdom as he gets older. And so John Ames gives his son advice about how to live a new life, about how to approach life. He writes to his son, listen to this. This is an important thing which I have told many people and which my father told me and which his father told him. When you encounter another person, when you have dealings with anyone at all, it is as if a question is being put to you. So you must think. What is the Lord asking of me in this moment, in this situation? If you confront insult or antagonism, your first impulse will be to respond in kind. But if you think, as it were, this is an emissary sent from the Lord and some benefit is intended for me, first of all, the occasion to demonstrate my faithfulness, the chance to show that I do, in some small degree, participate in the grace that saved me, You are free to act otherwise than as circumstances would seem to dictate. Oh, powerful words. It is as if a question is being put to you when you meet anyone at all. So you must think, what is the Lord asking of me in this moment, in this situation? Rarely does a day go by that I don't think of Marilyn Robinson's sentences here. Over the last eight months, I've had to ask myself this question. 
What is God asking me to do and how to respond through this experience of the pandemic? How can I grow in a unique way? What does God want to do in me that he couldn't do in any other way or in any other time? Who does God want me to serve? How can I be prayerful? How can I be present to those in need? Who is vulnerable in my community? How can I help and be of service? What is God asking me through this time, this place, these people? These are the questions that God desires for us to ask ourselves and ask one another. Just this past week, we asked our elders and Stephen ministers and volunteers to once again call the entire congregation to remind us that we are united, even though we are physically separated, we are united spiritually in Jesus Christ. It's the same, it's the same activity, the same ministry that Paul was doing in writing to the church in Rome. We're tangled up together in the grace of God. God will see us through this. We can do it. Not long ago, I visited my parents' home in Spokane. While there, my mom asked me to go through a box of old pictures and papers to see what could be thrown away and what should be kept. In the box, I found a letter from a principal of a neighboring high school that he sent to me during my senior year. It reminded me of an event I've been trying to forget since then. During my senior year basketball season, I was on what they called contract, which meant that I promised not to drink alcohol or do drugs. If I did, I would be suspended from school and from the team. Well, you know what happened. Before the Valentine's Day dance, I stupidly went to a party and drank alcohol. Word got out about it. And because of this, I got suspended from school and suspended for several games. At the time, my team was ranked in the top 10 in the state. The playoffs were coming up. The story made the front page of the sports section. It also was talked about on sports Radio, it brought great embarrassment to me and to my family, and we still try not to talk about it too much. Well, when I was back on the team, we made it to the district championship game, and before the game we were warming up, the opposing crowd began to chant a beer slogan, taste great, less filling, taste great, less filling. They had these huge signs, and everybody in the stands had these dare to keep kids off drugs shirts. I was humiliated. I thought it was the end of the world, that I would never recover. I felt so far away from my family and from my friends, from my school. I felt far away from myself. That is, until I received a letter from this principal at a neighboring high school. In it, he told me something that I will never forget. He said, Jeff, this may seem like a big deal now. It seems overwhelming. You may feel like giving up, but Jeff, I'm cheering you on, he said. He told me how he used to live in our neighborhood, and when I was a young boy, I would play basketball out in our front driveway for hours and hours, rain, sleet, snow, or sunshine. He said, I was cheering you on all those years, Jeff. And then he came to the end of his letter, and he said, Jeff, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, Jeff, tough times don't last but tough people do. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And when I was at the lowest point of my life, that was just the kind of encouragement that I needed to hear. His note 
changed my life. Mr. Dunn, you changed my life. I remember his letter often. Let's remember together that we are tangled up, no matter how separate we might be physically, we are tangled up and brought together in the good news and grace and spirit of Jesus Christ. We can support each other and our community. These are tough times, but let's remember, tough times don't last, but tough people do. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have loved us in Jesus Christ. You have not remained far off, but you've come close. And so even though we may be physically distant from one another, you, by your Spirit, remind us and comfort us and let us know that we are not alone, but we are together, tangled up in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we continue day after day, week after week, month after month, we pray that we might remember, yes, these are tough times, but tough times don't last. Tough people do. We thank you for the good news we have in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.